0: you already know where you're going, then that's probably not the thing that you want to be writing about, because I always maintain that at the heart of an essay, that there's a genuine question that you're trying to figure out.
1: Welcome to the Wild Air Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Bedelt. I'm thrilled to have as my guest today, Angela Pelster-Weeb. Angela is the author of a book titled Limber. It's a collection of essays loosely themed around different types of trees. If there's such a thing as a cult classic in nature writing, Limber might be one. It's shown up on several best of lists for nature writing and it's been described in reviews as strange, startling and mystical. I discovered the book a few years ago and I was really moved by it. The way the essays combine memoir, nature writing and moments of what I would describe as magical realism. Angela brings that same mix of candor and spirituality to our conversation today. My writing is always a
0: place of curiosity and exploration and trying to understand things about my place in the world. Um, I feel like nature has just always been that kind of natural point of connection for me.
1: Angela is a 2021 McKnight Artist Fellow. Her work has appeared in a number of literary journals, including Tin House, Granta, and The Kenyan Review. In addition to Limber, she has published a short story collection for children titled The Curious Adventures of India Sophia. Angela is an Associate Professor of Creative Writing at Hamline University. With that, here's our conversation. Hello, Angela. Hi there. It's a pleasure to meet you today to talk about your books, and in particular, uh, your book, Limber. I'm excited to dive into that a bit with you. Before we go there, though, I thought I would go back a little bit earlier and and start by asking you about um, maybe your earliest experiences with with nature and how that might have influenced your writing.
0: Um, Yeah, no, it definitely did. Uh, I grew up in Alberta, about 40 minutes outside of Edmonton in rural Alberta on an acreage. Um, with, there's supposed to be a lot of houses, but for most of my childhood, we didn't really have any neighbors cause they hadn't been built yet. Um, so <laughs> I spent most of my childhood outside. Um, I was a very big lover of building tree forts. So, um, <laughs> we had our Our weekend clothes. that as soon as we were done, we were outside building tree forts and catching frogs and just wandering around. When I think of childhood, I think of birds on wires, chickadees calling and the sound of frogs and um, and just the wildflowers that used to grow in the ditches around our house that don't grow anymore. Um, But uh, yeah, and then I also... um, you know, my dad was somebody who um, was the kind of person who would always, I remember driving because we had to drive a lot um, to get into the city, but just constantly pointing out, oh, look at how beautiful that is. Uh, and I think that was something that sort of sunk into me also to just look and notice how beautiful
1: things were. Mm, and do you think that has crept into your writing, influenced your writing, those early experiences?
0: Yeah, Um I think, especially lately, I mean, with Limber and then this new project that I've just finished, um, writing about nature and thinking about myself as part of nature has been the, the place where I find the most, one of the places I find the most intellectually interesting and hopeful and challenging. It, um, it cr- keeps growing my curiosity about the world, um, in a way that I assume comes out of those early, um, experiences with the natural world. Um, yeah, I think that, I think nature just has always been a place of, um, I was just listening to a podcast this morning, um, with a poet about awe and how, um, how nature is a place of inspiring awe and how awe is such an important aspect of our lives. And it's, you know, neuroscientists are now discovering like direct correlations between our health and our well-being and our ability to see awe in things. And for me, nature has always been a place of that. And because my writing is always a place of curiosity and exploration and trying to understand things about my place in the world, um, I feel like nature has just always been that kind of natural point of connection for me mm-hmm.
1: your book limber uh, is a collection of essays I think it's 17 essays each kind of notionally connected through the theme of trees um you know each one isn't necessarily about a tree but they all relate to trees and I'm just curious how that how that idea or theme came up for you in the first place. <laughs>
0: Well, this is a funny story. Um, so Limber is an extension of um, my thesis that I wrote for my MFA at the University of Iowa. And, um, and when I went in to talk to my thesis advisor, John DeGata, about to have my prospectus meeting about what I was going to write about, I had planned on writing about um, these two Canadian women who, um, had become sainted and were also, um, two women in the early years of Montreal and had done a lot of work with, um, establishing the city and hospitals in the city. Um, cause I was very interested in the way, um, I'm not a Catholic, but I was very interested in the way, um, to become a saint, you have to, um, sort of straddle these two worlds that, Do you know about the devil's advocate? So when somebody becomes a saint, they have to, um, so they have to have miracles, there have to be miracles. And then there's this uh, person called the devil's advocate, who has to try to disprove the miracles that's their role. Um, And if they can't disprove them, then they're considered actual miracles. And then this person is a step closer to becoming canonized and becoming a saint. So I was really interested in that tension between like the scientifically provable and sort of this mystical, magical way of being in the world. That's always a tension I'm really interested in, um, which I think is another reason why I'm interested in nature writing, because that already just exists because nature is so weird. Um, anyway, so I had started doing research on that project and I was trying to find out what trees were growing in the Montreal area in the 1600s. And, um, I kind of stumbled onto this list of famous trees around the world. I think it was just like a Wikipedia page or something. I don't actually remember anymore, but I think it was. So anyways, I got a little obsessed and I just started clicking and clicking and clicking and reading all about these different trees. And, uh, and I think I even posted on Facebook. I was like, once I'm done my thesis, I'm going to write a book about trees. They're so amazing. And uh, so anyways, I went in to have my prospectus meeting with John Degada, and he asked me what I was going to write about. And I told him about the saints um, in Montreal. And he said, hmm, what other things are you thinking about? And I kind of freaked out because I was like, I didn't realize... I was supposed to come to my prospectus meeting with multiple book projects, John. Um, and uh, and so I just like in a panic mentioned this list of trees. And he said, "Hmm, yeah, you should do that. Write about that instead. Um, and so I thought, okay, I guess I'm writing about trees, um, which was totally fine. I mean, if I really had felt strongly about it, I would have stuck with the saints. Um, I think it was him giving me permission actually to write this project that I had sort of gotten sucked into without without planning on it. Um, but what's kind of interesting to me is I feel like in many ways it's, you know, it's a book that would have been very similar to the saints one because they were both interested in the same sort of tensions between the magical and mystical and faith and then science and what we understand about the physical world.
1: I love that you mentioned the magical and mystical because I was, as in going through your essays again, um, it really stood out to me that the magical and kind of surreal pops out in a lot of stories. And the, the first, the opening to the first essay, is uh, is is so great. I'm just going to read the first sentence or two. Um, it is still winter. The cedar waxwings swarm the backyard this afternoon at least a thousand of them and the radio I had been listening to went static with their coming and then switched to a French station that I could not understand. And I just love, like, it's such a great opening to that essay, but that sort of surreal moment pops up in a lot of the essays. Can you speak a little bit to that, um, to that element of your writing and and where that comes from?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's why I write because I'm always looking for those moments. Um, And when I, when I, experience them in life. I I find it's not enough to experience them. I need to write into them to really, I think to experience them at the level I want to, I need to put it into language, even though language is always inadequate. And I never feel like I've actually captured the thing that I'm trying to do. It's the way I can get the closest to it. Um, And I think I, you know, I grew up going to church. Church was a huge part of my life, a Christian church, Um, and although I don't align myself with the beliefs I was taught as a kid, what it did teach me is like, you know, and we also like read the Bible after dinner every night for a part of my childhood. And it was my, the youth group I went to, but what it taught me was like, that there was this way of being in the world where you believed that like, Somebody could put their stick in the sand, and the red sea would part, or somebody would make mud with spit and would heal a blind person. Um, you know, so it 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 gave me this mindset of looking out at the world in a way where the unexpected and the miraculous was a possible way to understand the world. And so then, you know, in college, when I um encountered magical realism for the first time, I was like, oh, this is my literary home because it just, it felt like, it actually felt like a more realistic way of looking at the world. Not that I actually thought those magical things were happening, but just this relationship with the strangeness of the world, like the things that actually like entangled particles, um, like that you can do something to one particle in one place, and then miles away, it can be um, the same thing is being done to it. Like, mm-hmm. you know like We just keep discovering more and more things that sound like magic and that blows my mind. And I just want to like live in that place as long as possible.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, it, and it feels really related to faith, like all sorts of faith experiences.
1: In some of your essays, I think I read into it a bit of a colonialism critique. And, and I'm thinking of, there's an essay titled uh, Burmese or The Burmese Tree. And it's mm-hmm. about... Um, a mining town that is now a ghost town. It, it's a fantastic essay. I'm, I'm wondering if you could just quickly kind of describe that story and then kind of how you came about it or or, or where you were going with that, with that story.
0: I think I was, again, uh, so what this book taught me was to just follow my curiosity, to like put my judgments aside about what kind of research is appropriate research and just go with what I find interesting um and I think I found the Burmese tree uh because I was just like googling trees and looking at images and stuff and I probably put in Alberta and trees and and then I realized it was within driving distance of where I was in Edmonton and so one summer day when I was home during grad school um for the holiday summer holiday I just packed up my car and went out and drove to the Burmistry, tree, which I, I don't know. I think it was like four hours away or something. Um, and then I went to um on a mine tour. and I had been, as I said, in that essay, I had been in a mine tour in Bolivia. um and so I had been thinking about mines. And I didn't, you know, to be honest, I didn't know a lot about the mining, like specifically mining history in Alberta. and it was really, the history of it was really shocking to me and and surprising that I hadn't been taught so little about it. And also just like the community of the miners. And then I also had these memories of when I was little and we would drive past the, the Frank slide. I think there's a museum there now that we went to at one point. Um, and so it was just this like real moment of realizing I had done a really bad job of understanding the land that I had grown up in, the history, that history, obviously, the indigenous history, um, and and wanted to understand it a little bit more um, and think about what it meant that I was living in this place that had done this kind of violence to both the original people and to the earth itself. So yeah, that's what that grew out of. And it just was like historically so fascinating to learn about it um, and then get to be there physically. So many of these trees that I write about are trees that I didn't get to actually see in person. And so it was really amazing to be able to get to go there and see it and then go to the graveyards of all of the many miners who had died from the mining accidents that had happened and, and just kind of meditate on that and think about it.
1: Yeah, it's a fantastic essay. Living in British Columbia, I'll I'll look for the Burma Street next time I drive that way because yeah. I have never been aware of it before. So, um, something else that jumps out to me in your essays is you. I sense that nature is often showing a, a bigger, bigger truth that it's kind of countered against um, more day to day living. In, in most cases, your day to day living some beautiful day-to-day moments, but also some pretty harsh or, or 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 darker day-to-day moments, but nature always holding this bigger truth. Is that a fair um, yeah. description?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I wrote this book after some pretty difficult personal things that happened in my life, sort of one after another, after another, that kind of un- had undone everything that I had thought my life was going to be Um, which is one of the reasons that led me to write to begin with and got me to grad school. Um, But it was a time when, you know, there's this huge shifting going on in me and the way I understood the world as not a place that, I mean, it sounds silly because I would have said that I understood it before all of these things happened. Um, But it was a time when I understood that the world was not (laughs) the world wasn't a safe place and there were no guarantees about the certain sort of things that I would have in life Um, experiences or safe, like just emotional experiences um, without getting into all of the stuff that got me to that place. And it was a real, I think at the heart of this, I was just, I was really at the heart of all my writing i'm really trying to understand what it means that we humans are of this world and it's a place that is so dangerous and so incredibly beautiful and awe inspiring and it's physically shaped us it's shaped our culture it's shaped our way of being in the world and yet the you know the world does not give a shit if we die if we go extinct right mm-hmm. um and I was just really grappling with that individually, but then communally as a whole species, uh, I, I just continue to find that fascinating. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Angela, you did an inter- interview with the journal Plowshare years ago, and um, you spoke a little bit about when you when you start an essay, it's important for you to to really not know where it's going. Um, I think you use the word mystery in in your in your answer there. Can you speak a little bit to your process in terms of how you approach an essay?
0: Yeah, I think I think it's one of the reasons I'm an essayist. Um, I I mean I I write fiction and kind of prose poetry also, but it's really the thing that is exciting to me about writing is discovering something that I didn't understand, not just intellectually, but no hardly ever just intellectually but emotionally Um, if i feel like i know where the ending is going to be then there's nothing to write about there's no energy there and that's one of the things i tell my students all the time that if you already know where you're going then that's probably not the thing that you want to be writing about because I always maintain that at the heart of an essay, there's a genuine question that you're trying to figure out. And in my classes, we talk all the time about what is the essayistic question. That's the language I was taught in school and it, I have found it really helpful. What is the thing that is keeping you up at night that you're thinking about when you're cooking or cleaning or walking to work that you just keep returning to. And that's this kind of that energy that I'm trying to get at when I write um, and it, you know something that has a real a risk to it or a real weight to it something that really matters mm-hmm. um, yeah so that that's why i want to i'm not playing around mm-hmm. <laughs> i think that's the heart of it i'm it feels like it feels necessary yeah mm-hmm. i have to figure out
1: mm-hmm if nature writing could be said to have cult classics, I feel like limber fits into the cult classic area. I I'm curious if you, um, if you see the book as nature writing, uh, if you, if, if you bristle at that term, like how you, how you feel with that characterization.
0: Yeah. I like that question um, because, you know, limber came out in what, 2014. So it's, a, it's been a while. Um, and. um. And I really love it now when it first came out. You know, I had a, a short story collection before this one. Um, but Limber came out and I had just graduated with my MFA, and I didn't know if it was any good, and I was really insecure about it. And then people started calling it nature writing. And I thought, nature writing, am I a nature writer? Um, because I hadn't thought of myself as a nature writer at all um but the reason i got into essaying is because of annie dillard who is most definitely a nature writer um so yeah at first i don't not sure i would say i bristled at it but i i was surprised by it which is kind of ridiculous i mean it's a book with trees (laughs) Um, but it's it's not about trees as you said um not really but now that i'm further on in my writing life um I would say nature writer is definitely part of my identity. I feel like most at home with the title of a lyric essayist and mm-hmm. um, the subjects can be very wide ranging, but formally, I just, feel I'm a lyric essayist. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, I don't know how much you're willing to share about um, what you're working on these days, but uh, yeah, I'm really curious to see where where you're heading with your, your work.
0: Yeah. So uh, it's... <sighs> It's pretty similar in some ways to Limber. It's another essay collection. It's called The Evolution of Fire, Collected Crises. And it's um, all of these essays that sort of have some sort of crisis at the heart of them. Um, And it's thinking about sort of what I was mentioning earlier, that, um, that humans are a product of this planet, this universe, and everything that's gone into making us Um, but that the whole world itself is dependent upon change that evolution doesn't happen in an equilibrium, that there has to be some sort of crisis that makes an evolution necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, And so all of these essays have some sort of crisis in them. um, And sometimes there is change and sometimes there isn't, but it's thinking about what is it that, we live in this place where change is so necessary um and that like our bodies literally are made of change everything is and yet we find it so difficult to make real meaningful change at this moment when our world is in such danger and that if we don't figure out how to make change we will go extinct um or many 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 people will die um so I just I find that again, that tension very interesting that um the thing that made us is the thing we still can't figure out how mm-hmm. to manage, you know? It's a, it's a conundrum.
1: <laughs> it is a conundrum. Um Angela, I have one last question for you. And it's it's um for someone who might be interested in in writing uh uh in connection to nature, whether it's essays or fiction or nonfiction. What piece of advice would you give to someone in terms of um, writing advice?
0: Yeah, I would say the thing that I was mentioning earlier that I tell my students: don't mess around with writing about something that that feels answered already. That the thing that you don't know how to answer is the thing that you should write into, and don't worry that you don't know where it's going. Like that's the thing about writing is that you're deliberately constantly putting your place yourself in this place of uncertainty and um and it's a practice of getting used to that which feels like a really good thing to get used to as a human is being in a place of uncertainty so right into it and and just keep telling yourself it's okay it's okay that you don't know just keep going (laughs) yeah
1: that's great advice thank you so much for for talking with me today angela it's been a real pleasure
0: Yeah, thanks, Brad. I appreciate you asking me to participate in this. It was a nice conversation.
1: Angela has recently completed a new book of essays titled The Evolution of Fire, Collected Crises, that I'm really looking forward to reading. You can check out more episodes of The Wild Air podcast wherever you download your podcasts or at www.thewildair.org. If you like this episode, please do leave a review and share it with your friends. Thanks to all of you for listening. Have a great day.